So one day, Jesus is having a conversation, a discussion, maybe a little bit of an argument with some religious leaders who were trying to trick him. They were talking about life after death because Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, some of them believed that you just kind of live this life for the good pleasure of God, and when this life was over, you were over. And Jesus was bringing this thought of eternal life into their peripheral view, which is pretty amazing. And as they were having this conversation, a guy approaches Jesus in the crowd, because there's always a crowd around Jesus, it seemed like, because people love to be around him. And this guy approaches Jesus, and he's really sincere, and he asks a sincere question. He said, Jesus, out of all the laws, out of all the commands, out of all the rules, and if you've ever hung around us church people, it can feel like there's a lot of laws and rules, and we understand this, we're trying to figure that out. Which Jesus is the most important? What he's asked Jesus is, what's your view on the priorities of all the laws and commands that we're supposed to follow? How do you prioritize them? Because you know this, when you have values in your life and they collide and they kind of compete with each other, you've got to decide which value is most important. And Jesus leans in and he gives them the answer that most expected and most understood and heard their whole life. He looks at this crowd and this individual and he says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. And then what he says next, almost everybody in the crowd, because they're all Jewish people, could say along with him, verbatim, because they'd heard it their entire lives. Here it is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This beautiful, wonderful, majestic call for human beings to love God with all that they are and their soul and their mind and their strength from the inside out. And everybody was like, oh yeah, that's what we expected, Jesus, because that's what we've been told all of our lives. But then Jesus says something to them that was surprising. He changes the script. He brings something new to them, and he says, the second, whoa, whoa, there's another one? Yeah, yeah, you need to know this. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. And he says this really important thing. There's no command greater than these, which means they're both equally important. One just comes after the other in sequence, but not important. And Jesus brings this whole new way of thinking about loving people and loving God as a unified thing. Now, he is asked this by this individual, and apparently this individual gives him a response. It's a little bit funny because he treats Jesus like Jesus is a peer. Look what this guy says back to Jesus. He says, well, well said, teacher, to which Jesus probably thought, no kidding, man, I'm Jesus. I know everything, but thanks for your affirmation of my teaching. So you got to kind of see the humor in that. Then the man replied, you are right. Again, I'm affirming you, telling you're right. You might have been wrong. I'm saying you're right, saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And then this guy shares his thoughts on what Jesus just said. This guy says to Jesus, to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important. I agree with your priorities, Jesus, although I'm not really sure who you are. I agree with what you're saying, and I'm trying to embrace where you are, even though I'm not sure who Jesus even is. But he says it's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And that's a huge statement because their community, as Jewish people, their religious community was all around all these rituals and all these sacrifices and burnt offerings. And I just wonder if Jesus smiled at him and thought, man, you don't know me, but dude, you are on a path. And you don't know where I'm going or where it's going to take you, but if you continue to follow me and lean into what I'm saying, it will take you on a journey that will blow your mind. And at the end, you'll be so surprised. And it will make your life full 
and incredible and blessed. And the destination it will take you on will blow your mind. <laughs> Look what he, we're told. When Jesus had saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, now this is not said in the text, but I wonder, in this moment, if he, Jesus doesn't just kind of lean into this one individual. It doesn't say what he says next to everybody, but this one guy, and he just kind of whispers this. He leans in, and he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not far from you. It is right here. And maybe for some of you, you came here today because you need to hear Jesus say, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You stumbled in kind of ragtag and weary, mistake riddled like I am often, but you're not far because the kingdom of God is not far. Over the next couple weeks as we march towards Easter, which is seven weeks from now, it's hard to believe Easter's that close, we're going to go on a journey as we follow Jesus which will be narrated by Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers. And what you need to know about Simon Peter is he followed Jesus in his physical ministry for three years, and then the 30 years after that, he told the story of Jesus. So now we find Peter, he's about 50 years old, and he's been dodging, um, being beaten, being jailed, being killed. He's suffering for his faith over and over. 30 years, uh, every time Peter goes someplace, because he was one of Jesus' closest followers and best friends, people would grab him and ask him questions. You know, he'd walk into the synagogue, he'd walk into the restaurant, he'd sit down at the bar, and people would go, hey, Peter, 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 tell us about Jesus. Tell us about that time when Jesus told that woman that thing. You know, when Jesus did that thing with the water and wine, tell us that story. And what do you think he meant? And what was he like? Because people were beginning to be enthralled by the message and the good news of Jesus. But now, after 30 years of telling the story of Jesus, Peter's going to tell it probably one more time. Because Peter's in prison, in Nero's prison, the emperor Nero, who loved to burn Christians alive at the stake and Peter's time is running out, and he's got one more chance to tell the story of Jesus of Nazareth. But he's not going to tell it to an audience in a crowd, in a synagogue, in a church, or in a public square. He's going to tell it to one person, his traveling companion, John Mark, his friend. You see, we know that Peter was an uneducated man, which meant he might have been able to read a little bit, but probably couldn't write because writing was so much more difficult in those days. And so John Mark was going to come along and help him dictate the story because Peter was one of the leaders in the early church. He was kind of the point leader to get the whole thing going. But now Nero has him, and time is running out. And one last time, most likely, Mark, as in Matthew, Mark, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter and Mark would sit in a jail cell. And Peter would recall all these stories and all the things that he could remember, and what he prioritized as what was most important. And remember, Peter, as we read through this, Peter is not a teacher. He's not been educated to teach. He's a fisherman. He's a storyteller, so him and his dad and his brothers, they'd fish all day and probably sit around and tell stories with each other. And this is how he shares his experience. But when Peter shares his experience with John Mark, who would bring us the Gospel of Mark, he wanted to make sure from the very beginning we got the most important idea 
about Jesus. Look at how Mark starts writing down Peter's words. Like, hey, Mark, record this. Get this first. Peter said, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So, so Peter, you're telling me that you really believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Uh-huh. Are you really telling me that you believed Jesus was God's Son? Uh-huh. Wait a minute, Peter, you're sitting in prison. How can you believe that the man you followed could be God while you're in prison? Because if you saw what I saw, I think Peter would tell us. If you saw and experienced what I experienced with your own eyes, you would believe as much as I do. Because I saw him in the worst of circumstances, and I saw him in the best of circumstances. And at the end, I was absolutely sure who he was. In another place, Peter writes in the actual book called 1 Peter, he says, this is what I saw, that when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Remember, this is the guy that could calm the sea when the thunder rolled and the winds blew and ships were tipping over. He could calm it with just a word, but when he was arrested, he, he didn't retaliate. I retaliated, Peter would say. I resisted his arrest. He did not resist his own arrest. And when he suffered, he made no threats to them, although he could have, and followed through with it. Instead, I love this, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. (laughs) Am I sure of who he was? I'm absolutely sure. When I stood there and I watched Jesus hang on the cross, I stood in the back because I had denied him three times and tears were running down my face. I did not know what was going on, but I was so brokenhearted watching my Savior die on a cross. But later, here's what I came to understand, Peter would write, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Again, at the time I didn't understand it, but after the resurrection, it became crystal clear. And I spent the next 30 years talking about how he bore my sin and how he invited people that were so sinful and so messed up. They were so messed up that when Jesus would invite them to join our little crew, I would be offended at Jesus because I didn't think they were good enough. But in hindsight, what I realized is I was no better than them and we were all just kind of a disaster needing a savior. Do I believe? Woo. I believe him now more than ever. Here's what else I believe, that he, Jesus, has given us new birth. Like, he made me a brand new person into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's why I believe. As I talked to Jesus after he was dead for three days, I peered into an empty tomb that was sealed. And it may feel to some people like we're losing because I'm literally in prison about to die, but we are winning because the message of Jesus is spreading all over the world. And every day, this is what Peter, I think, would say, is men and women would wake up in the morning and go to bed at night praising the name of Jesus and lifting him above all other things and putting him as the priority in our lives. Am I, am I giving up? No, I'm not giving up. I mean, I may breathe my last breath today, but I am not giving up. We are winning. Now back to the story, because remember, Peter's a fisherman. He's not a professional teacher, so he's all over the place. And I hope as you read through the Gospel of Mark with us, you'll understand that it's all over the place. You just kind of press through. And we're going to go back to Peter's main point. But the reason it's so hard for us to kind of grab onto the Scripture, especially a story like Mark's story, Mark's Gospel story, is because when we read the Scripture, we look for a couple things. We look for application, don't we? I mean, that's good to have application. We read stories of the Scripture like, how do I apply it to my life? How do I make sense of this for me? We look for inspiration because when we're hurting, when we're suffering, we're like, what's the reason for this? And how can we keep going on? And that's a really good thing. And we look for direction. 
I mean, some of you may have come here today because you have big decisions in your life to make, and you're trying to figure out what direction should I go in, and can God help? It's why, it's why we love the Old Testament stories of like David and Goliath, because in a couple chapters, we have the encapsulation of a story that we can grab onto. It's like we love the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, because we see the God's grace through a father to a son, and we go, oh, that makes sense. We love stories like the woman at the well, because we see God's amazing forgiveness. But here's the challenge with that. Sometimes we read the individual stories and we miss that there is a big idea in the middle of it. And I think Peter and Mark want want us to understand the big idea. It's kind of like a puzzle. You know, you get one of those thousand piece puzzles. I hate puzzles because it just takes way too long, right? And so my strategy is dump the puzzle pieces out and then quietly grab one piece and put it in my pocket while the rest of my family works on the puzzle. I mean, dads, have you ever done this? It's glorious, right? And everybody works on the puzzle, works on the puzzle, and it's done except for that one last piece and I've done nothing. And then I go, oh, here it is. Let me finish the puzzle and then I'm the reigning champion that's just my tactic don't judge me for that my kids are getting counseling and I'm paying for it so that's that's just kind of the way that goes right but you know how this goes you dump a thousand piece puzzle on the table and it's a mess and your, your best strategy is do the edges but you don't even know where everything goes because you know what things are supposed to look like so you take the box top of the puzzle and you stand it up on and you go that's what we're trying to understand Well, that's kind of how you have to read the New Testament. I mean, all these stories are wonderful and they're great, but they point to a big idea that people like Peter want us to understand this big idea. Now, here's the challenge for some of us. If you grew up in church like I did and you were asked growing up, what's the big idea of Jesus? You know, I would have said, maybe you would have said, listen, that Jesus came, he died for my sins so I can be forgiven and I can go to heaven. And I'm supposed to be a good boy in the meantime. I'm forgiven, I get to go to heaven, I'm supposed to be good. Now, that is true, and that's real. But Peter, if he heard that that was all that Jesus was about, he might chuckle a little bit. Not because that's not true. We believe that's true. But because that's not all of the point. You see, up front, Peter wanted us to know the point. And sure, there is a personal component, and there is an eternal component, but if that is all there is to what Jesus came to this planet, that means that's all about me. And Peter was so desperate for us to know the big picture, the big point of why Jesus came, because he might die in the next day. He might draw his last breath within the next 12 hours, and he had to make sure we knew that every day, You and I and people in this world, if they would turn towards God, they could live with the assurance that God is near and that God could be trusted for their entire lives. And so Peter, again, he's like, okay, Mark, slow down. We got to back up and I got to make sure I tell this story right. So let's, let's talk about what happened in the beginning. And so Mark writes this down, that after John, this is John the Baptist, who baptized Jesus, you may know that story, was put into prison. Jesus went into Galilee. When John baptized Jesus, he baptized in the southern part of Israel near Jerusalem on the Jordan River. And then John was in prison, which is a whole other amazing story we'll probably get to in the near future. And Jesus, he heads north, which was a long way up to Galilee. And as he traveled along, this is what we're told. He went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now the question you should ask if you're thinking about this, and I hope you are, is what was the good news? Was it just that he died for my sins and I get to go to heaven, I'm supposed to be good? Not at that moment, because Jesus hadn't died yet. 
And he wasn't even talking about his death at all. That comes a little bit later. So what's he proclaiming as the good news? And here's something really important to remember. That the resurrection of Jesus punctuated and validated who he was. That when he rose from the dead, everybody went, he's exactly who he said. But the message he wanted us to know that is God is near. And his message could be trusted. And Peter would hear this over and over again. So Peter, what what is the good news? I'm glad you asked, Peter would say. That the time has come, Jesus said. The time that everybody's been looking for, that all religions have been trying to somehow get a hold of. That the Jewish faith that Jesus came from, that they were looking and waiting for. The time has come, the world is ready. That the kingdom of God has come near that the kingdom of heaven has arrived, and the best way to understand the kingdom of heaven is to get close to its king and his rule and his way of doing things. That the king is in town, and he's invited everyone to come close, unlike any other king that's ever lived. He wants everybody in his presence. It's the most amazing thing. And again, Peter didn't understand at the time. And here's why he didn't understand, because this world already had a huge kingdom. It was called Rome. It was the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen, and no one was stronger than Rome. And here is Jesus saying, now I am the king of this new kingdom. And he doesn't have any armies, he doesn't have any borders, he doesn't have any land, but this was not a kingdom about armies and borders. It was a kingdom. It was a kingdom of the heart. And it was a kingdom of conscience. And this king would inform his followers conscious of how to live and teach them as he revealed himself. And he would reverse the order of all things. This king, who's the most powerful king that had ever walked the planet, would wash his disciples' feet. And then look at them and say, now that you have had this done to you, now go wash other people's feet. And he would sit next to sinners at wells And he would love them and he would serve them. And then when they would follow, he would say, now go love and serve other people that feel like they don't deserve it any way you can. And Peter would get so confused. When you read Peter's response sometimes, he would argue with Jesus. He would ask Jesus to explain because he didn't understand it. But he was close. The king was near. The future was now. And it was always punctuated by love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And look left and look right and love your neighbor as yourself, even if your neighbor was your enemy. And he would say, my king punctuated all of that by dying for us. And when he died and rose, he brought a new covenant And a covenant, if you don't know, is just a heart agreement between two individuals. And this was a shocking thing because this was not like the old covenant, which was between God and Israel. This was a brand new thing. This was a covenant that the whole world would be invited into. And Jesus would invite all kinds of messy people, all kinds of people that drove Peter nuts. But Jesus would invite people, and then he would ask them to do two things. He would give them two imperatives. And these two things that Jesus would ask them to do would be almost impossible to do until after he rose from the dead, but he still asked them. He would say this, the kingdom, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near, and we want you, he would say, to respond in this way. Repent. 
and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, just pause for a minute because when you hear the word repent, if you're like me, maybe um, images of angry pastors come to mind. You know, like they have hammers in their hands screaming at you, repent, because you're a filthy, rotten sinner. Or people on TV, for me, it's the guy on my college campus that stood in the quad and he screamed at people with his big old Bible yelling at them and calling them all fornicators, which I was one of them. Not real pleasant, right? Now, you may ask the question, shouldn't we repent and turn from our sin? Probably, it's a really good idea. We'd all agree on that. In fact, John the Baptist's message was repent and prepare because the kingdom of God is at hand. But Jesus' message was more than just repent and turn from your sin, although that was certainly part of it. For him, repent means to turn your whole way of thinking, to turn your whole way of seeing the world. Stop seeing the world through your eyes and how it's just going to benefit you. See the world through God's eyes, through the king's eyes. Because his eyes are what's pure and right. And if we can see through his eyes, it will change the rest of us. And we've all failed at, I'm just going to repent and behave. Because we never can hold on to that long enough. But when our worldview changes and how we see everything, everything changes around us. And what would change Peter is what changes so many of us is being in the presence of this God that is near and he is not far. So he would say repent. The other word he would say is believe. Now, that's a tricky word because we can believe in a lot of things. Some of you, you believe right now that there is 12 inches of snow coming, and you believe you're probably going to kill your kids in the next week because you've got to be stuck inside with them, right? You believe that in your heart or your husband or whoever's going to drive you nuts, and that's, that's true. You believe that. But when Jesus said this word believe in the, in, in the actual Greek language, it was always believe and entrust yourself to this king, that you would surrender because you can't surrender unless you trust, right? If I'm going to surrender to something, I have to trust that it's good for me. That we would view the king of this new kingdom as someone we could entrust our lives to. And this would set up the rest of Peter's life because when he encountered Jesus, what was clear is he could trust him. And it was good for Peter. It was good for the people around him, but it also disturbed Peter when you read the story, and we'll read through this in the next couple of weeks, because Everybody was invited to participate in this kingdom. And again, Peter is all over the place. He's trying to make sense of all this and march right as fast as he can, dictating this messy story and to put it into order. And like, how did that happen, Peter? Tell me, explain it. And so Peter must have decided, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the day that changed my life forever. And this is how how Peter tells the next part of the story. He says, remember, this is messy. When you read it, I hope you can navigate through this. He said, okay, I remember this day. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's me, Peter would say, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus walks right up to him, and he says, come, follow me. What a great invitation. Don't be a Christian. Don't be a church person. Follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. To which Peter would say, and Luke talks more about the detail. Peter's not great at detail. He said, we heard that and we dropped our nets and we followed. There's so much more to the story, but I bet Peter just smiled at that day. We had no idea what was ahead of us. But it's not about me. And if you want to read more, go read Luke's account because he's got all the, all the details. Let me tell you what happens next. 
Peter goes on. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James. Now, you got to pause here for a minute and ask the question, if you know the background of this, is when Peter mentioned James, if his heart sunk just a little bit. You see, Peter several times was in prison, should have been killed, murdered, executed. And when you read the story, there's these miraculous things happen where he's set free. Well, James, Peter's buddy, had the same thing happen, but he was not set free. He was executed under Herod's rule. And you just got to wonder if Peter wondered, why him and not me, and why not me and why him? It's a question we all ask, right, when bad things happen, when tough things happen. So, Peter, I got a question. You're, you're confused by that. Does it shake your faith? No, it didn't shake my faith. I mean, I don't understand it. I don't understand the randomness of life, and I don't understand why bad things happen to good people. But no, because what I saw in Jesus, it doesn't shake my faith. But back to the story. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay. Love this. He called, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And you just got to wonder, as a dad, dad's in the room with the dad like Zebedee going, where the heck are you boys going? We got work to do. You know, you got to earn your keep. But they were gone. They just decided to follow Jesus, and I'll bet Peter would have added if he thought about it a little bit more. They had no idea what they were getting into or what lay ahead. But where'd they go, Peter? Glad you asked. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. They went to the church, basically, Jewish church. And this probably was a church, the synagogue, where Peter and his buddies went their whole life. And so they knew where to sit. They knew what to say. They knew how to act. It was their normal thing. But then, for some reason, people asked Jesus to get up and teach because he was a rabbi. And then something unbelievable happened. The people were amazed. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And Peter would say, oh, my goodness, I had heard these stories my whole life. But when Jesus started to speak, it was like he literally created the story. Like he literally created the people in the story and the earth under the story. It's like he knew things no one ever knew. And it was like hearing it for the very first time. What happened next, Peter? News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. People began to hear and lean in and follow. And some version of belief they started to hold in their heart. This is a huge deal. It's like Peter steps out of the story just a little bit. Maybe if he was on stage speaking, which would be much better than me being on stage speaking, he would say, listen, I don't, I don't know what your version of faith is, and I don't know what your version of Christianity is. I don't know what you grew up with. I don't know what you walked away from. I don't know what you ever said no to God and faith and church. And I understand, and it's fine, because if I heard what happened to you, if that happened to me, I probably would have walked away too. I'm going to say that one more time. And I'll say this on my own behalf. If what happened to me with church and religion and Christianity happened, happened to you, happened to me, I probably would have walked away too. But here's what Peter would say, that the arrival of Jesus might change your mind. Because this is what he would say. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I think Peter would look at you and I and say, listen, if your version of faith and church and Christianity isn't good news, you've got the wrong version. I mean, sure, it's difficult at times, 
And we try, you know, to follow and change and be different. That's true, and turn away from things we shouldn't. But if your version of Christianity wasn't good and good for you and good for those around you, you might have the wrong version of Christianity, and I think Peter's inviting us to take a better, more pure look at who Jesus is, because Peter believed that it was good. Peter believed that it was so good that God came near. And he would look at you and me and say, you're not far. You may feel far from God, you're not far because God is not far from you. And if you doubt, you just need to know Peter doubted so much he denied Jesus. And Peter literally left Jesus when Jesus needed him most. But because of his king's goodness and his love and who he was, he came back around and he experienced the king's mercy to the point that he would say this as an old man looking at his death, a terrible death, a painful death, an excruciating death, he would still say with full confidence, the time has come like it's now upon us. The kingdom of God has come near and the question for all of us for you and for me because i've been following jesus for a long time but i'm still asking the same question every day is would we turn in his direction would we explore would we think would we ask would we seek this king and would we repent and not just turn from our sin although you know that's probably good for you but would we repent the way we change the way we see the world and see the world through the king's eyes and let the good news be our news, because I'm convinced that's where everything changes when we experience the King's mercy. Now, we're going to walk through the series. This is not just like, here it is today and we're done. We're going to walk through the series for several weeks. And what I would love for you to do, if you're willing to take a risk, is open up to the Gospel of Mark, Peter's traveling companion that wrote this, and read along with us. We'd love to help you out and give you some devotionals every week. And if you would just simply do this, and we're not going to force you to do it. can't do that, right? But if you would text not far to 21,000, not far to 21,000, on Monday and Wednesday, we will send you a super short little reading, at least to keep your mind engaged and your heart engaged along the way, because we want to get this together. Now, let me say this, though. I have a motive of my own as the pastor of our church. I've been doing this for a long time been preaching a lot of messages, just came off an incredible message about communication last week. But the reason I want to do this is I simply want you, the people in the building, the people online, my children, my wife, myself, I want us to fall in love with Jesus. I don't have time and I don't have energy for any more religion or wasting time just playing church. I want us to fall in love with Jesus, who's in love with us, the King that showed us all of his mercy when he gave his life on the cross. And again, I don't know your experience, and I'm sure you're dinged by it in different ways, but he's inviting us to come to him. This is a journey. And you get to ask questions, and you get to ponder, and you get to resist and figure it out, but it's worth leaning into. And you are invited, and I'm invited. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful for Peter's account, and that Mark was there to write it all down. 
Lord, I would pray that we could embrace this King that has come, that is near to us. And Lord, we all have a list of reasons to resist, but there's a reason to lean in, and that is our King's love and the sacrifice that was made for us, that we would know God is near, that we could love you, God, and love each other in immense ways. So let us lean in. Let us have understanding. Let us have clear eyes. Let us read the story that Peter and Mark gave us about you, Jesus, and understand it the best that we can and change us from the inside out. And if anybody's here and this is just new, I pray they could take one simple step forward towards you and you'd guide them the rest of the way. Thanks for your love and thanks for your spirit that leads us through this. In Jesus' name, I pray.